Welcome to the Hanover Valley Podcast, a ministry of Hanover Valley Presbyterian Church. We are located at 133 Carlisle Street in downtown Hanover, Pennsylvania. Check out the rest of our website at hanovervalley.org. Thank you for listening. Um, we've been looking the last, the last few weeks at the book of Daniel, uh, the life of the gospel in him as he was serving in a, in a pantheistic culture, in, a, in an oppressive world, uh, understanding that oppression, understanding that aggression on his faith, understanding that aggression on him personally through the lens of the gospel, seeing it, um, seeing it as um, uh, one of the things that one of the things that we uh, that we learn in marriage counseling courses is to be be able to see the cr- the outcry for connection when your spouse or when your child or when your friend uh, says says it. They call it bidding. They're bidding for connection or love. They're trying, they're, they're, and sometimes the, the, the tricky thing is that, if, that if, uh, if a bid in your marriage or in your, or in your relationship with your children or, or in your friendship, the, if a bid for connection comes out like, hey, sweetie, would you love to hang out and, and have a date night? That's easy. But do you catch the bid when they say, Doggone it, how many times have I told you to clean up your clothes when you drop them on the floor? Can you see the bid in that? Because that, there is a bid. It's a bid for connection. It's a bid for order. It's a bid for, do you see me? Do you hear me? Can, can we have a conversation about this? But it, does, it comes out in it with an edge. But it's, it's love there. There's a, there's a need there. There's a desire to have something fulfilled that, that only a connection can make, only love can, can have. Daniel was doing that consistently with all the kings he worked for, all the people, all the, all the, uh, uh, the kings that he, was, that he was chief advisor to. Every time they needed connection, they yelled at him. <laughs> they were out to get him. They were on the warpath, and he saw past the warpath to their need, to their, to their uh, restless hearts, to their sleepless nights. And, he, and with compassion, he went to them with the grace of God. Daniel did that in the life, uh, in the, in the life of the Babylonian kings. His content, we've referred to his contemporaries. We, the people of God had been, had been held captive, had been overtaken, uh, conquered by this imposing pantheistic culture known as the Babylonian captivity. And during their time of captivity, uh, Daniel was doing his job. He was, following, he was following the orders of prophets like Jeremiah. We referred to Jeremiah, one of his contemporaries. And today we're going to look at another one of Daniel's contemporaries, Ezekiel, the visionary prophet, the prophet with all kinds of wild and crazy dreams. We're going to look at those dreams today, one of them, uh, just a couple over the next couple of weeks. Let's t- turn to Ezekiel 37. You can use the passage that's there in the in the in the uh, in the bulletin. Uh, use the Bible in front of you. Look on your wireless device. Follow along as I read it. One second. I'm sorry about that. Otherwise, you're going to see me grabbing it all morning. You're likely to see me grabbing it anyway. Okay. Ezekiel 37. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. 
He led me to and fro among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you. And you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. And I will put breath in you and you will come to life. And then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound. And the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them. There was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them, and they came to life and stood on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, O my people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from from them and and I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I am the Lord, have spoken and have done and have done it, declares the Lord. This is God's word. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for the way that you, that you do in us that which we cannot imagine ourselves. I pray that you would, that you would uh, increase our faith, that you would cause us to trust you, that you'd make us believers in the work that you can accomplish. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We've looked, uh, we, we've, we've been, uh, this morning if you were in, if you were in the adult workshop, uh, Bruce, one of our elders, uh, was, was taking us through the passage in, in Psalms where it talks about the valley of the shadow of death. Uh, we, we referred to the valley a little bit here. Uh, even the song we talked about, that was the song had a little sort of valley in it. We're actually not going to talk about the valley of the shadow of death. We're actually going to talk about the valley of death. In Psalm 23, it's the valley of the shadow of death, the, the sort of the imposing pall of death, the, 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 the potential onset of death, the fear of death, the darkness of it. In this one, uh, Ezekiel actually is taken through the valley of death in a vision, in a dream, by the Spirit of God. He takes the prophet so through this valley, through this valley of bones, the of dry bones, and it says he, as he was walking in this valley, he saw so many bones, just 
death everywhere. So dry. Not, and not just, these, this isn't new death. This is old death. This is death for a long time. You know, because when, 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 when a human, and we know, we know what these bones were, because they write in the end, at the end of the story, it's nice to know the end of the story when you, as you look at the beginning of it. God, we see the whole, the whole vision. The end of the story, what, who are they? God says, this is the house of Israel. This is, <laughs> these are people. These aren't, these aren't animal bones. These aren't carcasses of some, of some, uh, of some cattle or, 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 or lambs. These are people. These are dead people in this valley, and it's an army of them. And they, haven't, they didn't just freshly die, because when a human freshly dies, they look human. They look, they've got flesh on them. They're, they're lifeless and gray. But when, when they've been dead a long, long, long time, It's just bones anymore. And God in this passage gives us the condition of his people, the condition of his world, and he gives us the solution for that condition. We're going to look at just the two points today. The condition that, that he finds. Them. To, get to, to, the, to get to the condition, uh, we, we see that. We see that a little bit at the end and a little bit at the beginning. He says, this this is the way my people actually are. This is the way I see them. This is the way they ought to see themselves. This is what I want. This is how I want you to see them. He gives them a vision to walk through the valley of dry bones, the, the valley of dryness, the valley of weariness, the valley of death. And he says, this is the house of Israel. This, these are my people. They may look to you. They've been, they've been taken captive into, into Babylon. They're living in, a, in an oppressed culture. They're living in a, in a discouraged culture. They're living, they, as a matter of fact, the way he describes the way the people, the people they say, this is, in verse, this is in verse 11, he says, they say our bones are dried up, our hope is gone, we have been cut off. The way that the people of God are, are, are looking, or the way that they're feeling is they feel dry, they feel weary, they feel cut off without hope, they feel lost and, and dead. That's what they're crying out. To God, they they're living. They're 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 living in captivity. They are actually living in terms of physically, rationally. They are living, but they are walking dead. God says they are the way they actually are. The way the way their hearts are. The way that they appear to me. And the way that I want you to see them and the way that they really ought to see themselves, truth be told, dry, weary, hopeless, dead, restless hearts. That's the condition. And in a desert. It may appear, it may appear, you see someone when you, Ezekiel, when, when you see them, and you're prophesying to them. You're the one I'm sending with these grand visions. And you might look at them and you see them living. And, they, and you say, how they, and you ask them, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. I'm doing good. 
How's your day? Good day? He says, Ezekiel, don't be fooled by the words. Don't be fooled by the way they look on the outside. Don't be fooled by what, by what you think you see because the vision I'm giving you is more accurate by the Spirit of God. How did he have this vision? He had this vision because God, God took him out into the desert in, his, in, his, in a spiritual vision the Spirit of God gave him this truth. The Spirit of God took him to this place. And what, and what God's telling Ezekiel is, don't be fooled by your eyes. Don't be fooled by your, by your, by your own thoughts. Don't be fooled by your feelings because they, they will trick you. Let me give you the real truth. Let me give you what you ought to see when you see... Excuse me. Don't be fooled. Because they may look alive, they may tell you they're alive, they may tell you they're doing all right, but what they really are is they're dead inside. They're struggling. They're deeply wounded. They're, they're weary and they're dry. They are, they're feeling like death. They're feeling cut off. They're feeling lifeless. They're feeling as if they have the sense. And, when, and, if they, and if they tell you the truth, they are, when, in their hearts when they talk to me, they are feeling dry hopeless, and cut off. This is the condition of the people. Don't ever forget that, Ezekiel. This is how I want you to see that. Why would he take him through? Why would he help him to see this condition? Because it's not easily understood. Because, because when we walk in the world, it looks like people are living. It looks like they're doing great. It looks... And they and they and often people people don't even see this in themselves. You know the, the doctors always say, "What's you know what's your what's your doctor always telling you and your nutritionist always telling you always hearing it on the, on the, on our health reports? Drink more water. Why? Because you don't get enough water. Because you're drinking all kinds of other stuff. I'm, I'm my wife's telling me all the time, drink more water. I go, I drank all kinds of coffee today, had water in it." Isn't that the same as water? No. Because, I mean, it was water, and then it got combined with all kinds of chemicals or with all that substance, the coffee, which I love. And that's, that doesn't do, it no longer is water now. Water hydrates. You know what coffee does? Dehydrates. So the very thing, you know, tastes good, though. Doctors are always telling you drink more because you don't know that your body, you don't feel that your body's dehydrating. You don't feel, I don't feel dehydrated. I'm fine. I feel a little dehydrated right now. Probably because I had too much coffee this morning. But you don't know you're dehydrated. And, they all, what, and the doctor says by the time you feel dehydrated, by the time you feel thirsty, too late.
Because the onset of difficulty, the onset of unhealth, we don't feel naturally. We don't sense naturally. And that's why, I, that's why God is taking Ezekiel and saying, they look healthy. They may look healthy, but they're not. They may look as if they're doing okay, but they're not. They are, they are dead. I see them as they truly are. And I want you to see them as they truly are. And I want them to see themselves as they truly are. Why? Because unless you see yourself as you truly are, you cannot begin to make inroads to change. You cannot begin to, see, you cannot begin to know that it's time that, that something has to be done. And if they were fine, if they were already an army with flesh and bone and strength and breath in them, if they were already that, would Ezekiel feel any need to come to them? Would Ezekiel have any sense of desire? No. What God's telling, he's taking him through the valley so that his heart might break, that his heart might be drawn, that his heart, that he might see the condition of the people and that it might melt his heart to be drawn to do the work, to, to raise them to life and, and, to, and to show them their true condition. And here's the thing that the first thing that he the first thing that God does with him when he takes him through the here's the, here's a part of the condition okay we're still talking about the condition of the human heart still talking about the condition of our world when when you see the world when you and I see each other in the pew when you and I look at the people in our relationships in our family we need to see dryness we need to see we need to see hopelessness we need to see the, the honest condition of the world and see it so that it might generate us to action and it might generate compassion and, and a sense of empathy. The first thing that God does when he takes him through the valley is he asks him a question, takes him through the valley, he sees the things he sees, he talks about what he sees, bones, a lot of bones, a lot of dead people, so dry. What's the first question God asks? What's the first interaction? He says, what do you think? Can, these, can they come to life? He goes right after Ezekiel's belief system. He goes right after his inner root system. He says, Ezekiel, I've just taken you through the valley. This is an expanded sense. This is my expansion on here. He takes all, I'm taking you through the valley of the shadow. God, let me ask you a question. Do you think, can they come to life? Can we restore their hope? Can we... Restore their sense of being cut off? Can we restore their sense of, of vitality rather than deadness and, 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 uh, and dryness? Do you think that's possible? And I have, to give it to, I have to give it to Ezekiel. At least he's honest. He says, he says, in, he says in the verse, when God takes him through, he says in, in verse 3, I said, so I said, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. Let me translate that for you into modern vernacular. Ezekiel, can these bones come to life? Ezekiel says, I don't know. 
but you do. He's admitting, I have no clue. I don't know. You alone know. You're the only person who knows whether these can come to life because I don't know. And in that I don't know, in that sense of him saying, I'm not certain, you have, you know, please tell me, he is, he is admitting his unbelief. He's admitting in that moment, I'm not certain if these people can come to life. I'm not certain. He's admitting, it's, it's almost as if, you remember the story of Jesus? There was a story where Jesus, when he walked the earth, a man approached him with a daughter who was, who was dying. And he said, Master, will you come and heal my daughter? And he says, do you believe that I can do this? And the man, in utter sheer honesty, said, I believe, but I help my unbelief. Basically saying, I believe it, but I don't believe it. I'm, I'm struggling with my faith. I'm struggling with my belief system. Can you help me? And, and you know what Jesus did? He healed his daughter. He went, and went with him and, and, and helped him with his faith and helped him with, with his healing. And there's a sense where Ezekiel's faith, Ezekiel's sense of having walked through this valley and see the condition of God's people. And he's been, he's been doing this. This is chapter 37, folks. He's been doing this for a while. He's been living his ministry for a while. In the same sense of captivity, he's also being held captive. He's also a prophet in the time of barrenness, in the time when they're, when they're being oppressed by the Babylonians, in the, phys- in the physical world sense, in the, in the reality. But what he's saying is this is the condition of the human hearts. And Ezekiel, do you believe that the work you're doing, do you believe that the work that I'm doing, do you believe it's possible that dead people, dry people, hopeless people can actually change? And Ezekiel honestly says... I don't know, but I hope you do. I think you do. You do, do. you do know. Tell me. I don't know. And when you and I, and, and, and I'm convicted by that. I'm also comforted by that because I'm not, you know, in other words, it's, it's helpful to know that I'm not the only one that thinks that, that wonders that. My faith. Can dead things change? Can dead hearts be raised to life? Can, can people who lack vitality come to vitality? Can hopeless people become hopeful? Can people without joy become joyful? Can, 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 can dry people, dry whole sense of life, can a listless, restless experience be changed into a vital, energized, passionate approach? And there's a sense where you, you live amongst the dry bones long enough, you start believing you can't. No, people don't change. Marriages don't change. Children don't change. Life doesn't change. Culture doesn't change. Right? And the first thing God has to, the first thing God does is convince the prophet. But he go, but he doesn't, but he doesn't, but he doesn't assume. He doesn't overlook the dead heart of the prophet, too. The heart of the prophet was dry. He saw, he's, he's saying in this question, I see you too, Ezekiel. I see you too. I see your dead faith. I see your dry empathy. I see you just like I see them. Let me, and let me, rather than tell you what I'm going to do, let me show you what I'm going to do. And I'm going to do it. 
I'm going to do it. Not by myself. I'm, I could do it by myself, but I'm going to do it by using you. By using dead, dry you. Here's what I want you to do. All I want you to do, I'm going to tell you something and you tell them something. Here's the solution. Proclamation and prayer. Preaching and prayer. Promises and prayer. However, whatever, pick whatever P you want. He says, I, he says, Ezekiel, I'm going to tell you something. All you have to do is go tell them that. Just go tell them. Just go proclaim what I proclaim to you. And, what he, and the things that he proclaims is, number one, what, the number of things. When you look through that, that paragraph, prophesy to these bones, proclaim and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to the bones. First thing we hear is, I'm, he's, he's saying, God has taken notice of you. God knows of your condition. God sees your dryness, your hopelessness, your cut-offness. He sees you. No one else sees you. But I see you. I see what you hide from everyone else. Hide out of fear. Hide out of discouragement. Hide out of a sense of listlessness. Hide because no one else cares. Hide because, hide, rather not say it, because even if I said it, it's not going to, nobody's going to say anything. I just got an email from a woman who I went to high school with. Um, she was emailing a bunch of us because we have, a, we have a, an annual thing coming up, and she was acknowledging that. She took the time in that email to tell us about, about her son's sudden, uh, sudden death. He was 19 years old back in June. And she then proceeded to educate us on how to, how to respond to that news. <laughs> She says, because if, you, because if you don't, I'm going to tell you how to respond because, and one of the ways to respond is ask me about it. Because if you don't ask me about it, I'm, going to, I'm likely to take that to mean you don't care, you don't see, you don't know. You don't, and and it only do more damage and so forth. And that's really what they, that's what they always tell you. Don't, and, and everybody who's had someone die in your life, right? Everyone who's had someone die, whether it's a child or whether it's a parent or a friend, you want to be asked about them, don't you? Yeah. You don't want us to ignore the fact that you've lost them. You don't want us to ignore the grief that's in your life. You don't want us to just move on. You want to know. You know, I want, to, I want you to ask me about my, grand, my grandson that passed. I want, you want me to ask you about your husband, your, your, your sibling, your, your, your child. Yeah, right? That makes sense because it, because it says you see me. And the reason we don't share because we're afraid you won't see me. God says to the people, tell them, this is the sovereign Lord talking. Tell them I see them. I see them in their death. I see them, I see their hearts. I see, I see the coldness. I see 
the lostness. I see the barrenness. I see you. How, if you uh, uh, we all have modern devices, or at least most of us do, or access to them. Um, I encourage you. I encourage you. Maybe as you have a chance, one of the one day when you're when you're thinking of how to study the scriptures, uh, study the Gospels, the life of Jesus, and just just search the idea, search the concept of Jesus saw, Jesus heard, Jesus touched. Search those. If you've got several hours, because it's all over the Gospels, him seeing, seeing things that nobody else saw, him touching places no one else touched, See, him hearing something that no one else heard. He, he's even so conscious, so attuned. He's walking in a through a crowd of people, and a woman touches his garment, not his body, his garment, and he's, who touched me? That's how attuned he was to the surroundings, to the people, and to seeing in their lives. Ezekiel, tell the people I see them. Tell the people this is the Lord coming to them, that I understand their condition and I have a message to give them. And the message is, I'm going to do something for you you cannot do for yourself. There's nothing dead people can do to save their condition. There's nothing a dead, there's nothing bones can do to make themselves come to life. Bones have no power. Death, dry hearts have no power. And, and here, here's the thing, that, that part of the reality, part of the truth be told is you have no power to change your condition. You have no power. You have no power to change the condition of the culture. You have no power because the, the problem with the culture isn't the things you can see. The problem with the culture is it's dead. The problem with the culture is it's dry and hopeless. The problem with the culture is it's been cut off. It's a valley of dry bones. What's the solution to the culture? Same solution to the culture is the same solution to your heart. Your heart is dry and weary and dead in a dry and weary place where there is no water. And God said to Ezekiel, here's the solution. Tell them Tell them I see them. Tell them I love them. Tell them I'm going to bring them to life. I'm going to infuse life into them. I'm going to be gracious to them. I am going to, I'm going to, I'm not going to let them remain dead. I'm coming. I'm going to, I'm going to not let them linger on. I'm, they're not going to stay dead. This is not the end of their story. It's the middle of their story. Tell them, promise them, go promise them, this is what I'm going to do. Help them to focus on this promise. Help them to linger on this promise. Tell them over and over again that this is that I'm a life-giving God who sees them in their death, who sees them in their dryness, and they're in that condition by their own self-inflicted wounds. Why are you dry? Why are you full of holes? And so when God puts grace in it, you just leak it all over the place. Why are you always running out? Why are we in this condition of death and sadness? And, 
and restlessness. Why? It was because of you. You did it. You did it because of your betraying God. You did it because he said in the Garden of Eden, okay, here's the deal. Don't eat this fruit. This fruit will kill you. This fruit leads to death, to dying, to restlessness, to fear. This is the fruit. Don't eat that one. That one will kill you. Trust me. It will lead you to a life of dry boneness. Don't go down that road. Had they not gone down that road, there was the other tree. What was the other tree? Life. Life. He created them to be alive. He gave them life. What did he, what did he do? What did he do in the garden? What, was, what did it say he did when he, when, he, when, he, when he molded Adam out of the dirt? Got his hands dirty? God came and, and got his hands in the mud. And he shaped a man out of it, man and a woman presumably, out of it in one of the artful ways that it's describing him. And then what did he do? What did it say he did? He breathed life into him. He breathed. It said, the, the language, the language is the same as this language. He breathed life into Adam and life and he became alive. And he lived. It was to live and, and, to, and to, take, take, to manage the garden and to live in the garden, to enjoy the garden and to expand the world and to, and to expand God's reign over all the world with no restraint, with no, with no hindrances, with, with, with no inhibitions whatsoever. <laughs> Except for one. One little tree. God said, trust me. Trust me about the tree. It's going to kill you. And they didn't. And they died. And you and I died because they were our parents. And now death and hopelessness and cutting off and dryness reign in our lives. And God says, I see you, but I'm not going to let you remain that way. I should. I should. Your own, your own fault. You made your bed. But God says, nope, that's not how I am. That's not, the, that's not, that's not how, how I operate. I operate. I want to save you from the death that you inflicted on yourself. I want to save you from the dryness that you brought on yourself. I want to say, I see you. I see you in this place of sadness, in this place of fear and discouragement. I'm coming. I'm going to, I'm going to give to you. And, here, and he says to Ezekiel, just tell the people what I'm planning to do. Tell them what I'm planning to do. I'm planning and I'm coming to change their hearts, to bring life where life doesn't exist exist to bring wholeness where, where brokenness exists to bring light where darkness exists to bring to quench the thirsts of a dry and a weary people by being the living water I'm coming and that's my that's my answer to the dead valley that's my answer to dead hearts tell the people that I'm going to do for them what they squandered and cannot now do for themselves. I'm going to do for them just like I did on day one. And so he goes and he begins to preach. He begins to proclaim to dead people 
And I'm sure, I'm, I, don't know, I don't know in this vision, I don't know what it felt like to preach to a room full of people, valley full of people not listening. Wait a minute, yes I do. because <laughs> if I'm not preaching in that room I'm the one listening in that room depends on who, who the other preacher is sometimes you've been the preacher in my room and I roll my eyes I know my wife has been I know my children have been what's it what was it like for Ezekiel to walk through a valley and to preach a message and to proclaim grace and to proclaim hope and to proclaim the promises of God and to proclaim the power of God and the compassion of God to seeing the death and the, and the, and the, and the listlessness and, and, to, and to preach it and to have no one listening? Have no one listening. It's, and, then, and then miracle upon miracles. It's almost you see the story slow down a bit. He tells the man, walking amongst them, God says, do you believe? I don't know, God, you know. Okay, here's the message, go tell the people. And he goes, tells the people, and it's almost you see him slowing down. And I'm, tell, and I'm telling the people, and then there's a sound. Something, there's a rattling noise. Rattling. <laughs> Bones rattling against each other. As they're coming back to life. And it's almost you see, you almost see the eyes of his own heart opening up as he says, and they and the bones came together. <laughs> Who'd have thought? When you see God working in someone's life, doesn't it sort of strike you as odd? When someone changes, when someone, when someone does a kindness, when someone believes, when there's joy in the midst of sadness and sorrow, when someone's filled with passion about something that they, that they love or that they used to, used to love but don't and went through a period of dryness, when, when culture changes, when, when, when joy resounds, when hopefulness re returns, don't you go, what? I don't know what's going on, but I just feel like there's life here. I don't know what, I don't know what happened, but he came home and he was happy. Yeah, we're surprised when, God, when God's grace does what we say it's going to do. Um, I've told this story before. Back in the days when, when Pete Rose, who was, a, who was a great baseball player back in the day, and regardless of what you think of Pete Rose and, and, and the, the cheating scandal and, and his being excised from baseball, um, I'm not worried about that. What I'm... What I, there was one quote that he gave back in the day when Pete Rose played. There was a period of time where he was on the on the road to becoming the the ha having the most games with consecutive hits in baseball. The person who who had the record before him was Ty Cobb. I don't know, I, and I don't know enough about baseball to know how many hits that was. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, for the sake of this story that I did see, and there were actual, this was an actual interview, and this was an actual fact. At one point, a reporter, he was, let's say he was 37 hits away from breaking the record, Ty Cobb's record of consecutive uh, games with hits. You know, he says, Pete, he says, uh, you got 37, 37 hits before 
you break the record. He says, uh, how many at-bats do you think you need to break that, to get the 37 hits? Pete Rose's response was, 37. Because Pete Rose thought he could get a hit every time he got to the plate. He believed that he believed that he could that he could get the ball into fair territory and get to first base because he that was his belief system. Every time he didn't walk up to bat going, "Well, I'm not sure whether I can do this. I'll swing away. What the heck, you know, just going to make I don't know. Probably not going to get a hit today. You know, glad I get three or four of these today. I'm not sure I'm going to, you know, don't know. No, that's not, that's not how you break records. That's not how you live your life. And there's a sense where when we see God, when we see God, Ezekiel being given a message of hope and a message of grace to dry, to, to dry dead people, he, if, he, why God has to go after his belief system is he's got to say, do, when you step up to the plate with the message of grace, do you think it's going to work? Do you think that people will resound with glory to God in some capacity because of this grace that you proclaim them. And that's where our belief system fails, where, we, where our own dryness is, is, is exposed. Do you believe in the power of God's grace? Do you believe in the power of what he's going to accomplish? The resurrection, Jesus proved the resurrection of dead things by actually coming back to life himself. Can things change? Can joy be restored? Can hopefulness reign? Can honesty bear fruit? Yes, yes. Tell the people. Tell the people. And watch what I'll do. Watch. And watch the bones come together. Watch the sinew return. Watch, watch the flesh cover it again. And then what I want you to do while you're proclaiming the truth, what I want you to do also is I want you to... He's, the passage talks about proclaiming to the, to the wind. He says, I want you to proclaim to the people, to the dry bones, but I also want you to proclaim to the wind. I want you to tell something to the people, and then I want you to tell something to the wind. Now, the word for wind in Hebrew, the word for wind there, it's critical to know this. I don't often bring out the Hebrew because sometimes the English helps you as just as well. In this instance, the, 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 the vision, the interesting part of it, and why God's telling him to pray, to, 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 to proclaim to the wind is because the word for wind is the word ruach. In Hebrew, ruach. It's got a little in the back. A little ruach. That's also the word in the New Testament for Holy Spirit. It's the word for spirit. What God's telling Ezekiel to do is I want you to proclaim something to the spirit. And when you proclaim, you know, what's the, what is the act of proclaiming to the spirit? What is the act when you go tell something to the spirit of God? You do it all the time. I do it all the time. If you maybe you don't do it all the time, but maybe you do it occasionally. When you tell when you tell something to the Spirit of God, you're praying. You're praying. He says, I want you to proclaim to the people, and then I want you to pray to the Spirit. 
pray to the Spirit that the Spirit would come in and breathe life into these people. Breathe it because they need it from him. That's why, when, that's why Jesus, when he left his disciples, when Jesus left his disciples, he says, if I don't go, the Comforter, the Spirit, the Ruach won't come. And you need the Ruach. You need the wind. You need the Spirit of God to come into you to remind you of what I have told you, to, to remind you of all the things I've said, <laughs> to remind you, to breathe life into you through those words, to give you the, to give you the life-giving power that that is. The Spirit and the message of truth will change the world, will change your hearts. as we proclaim and pray. Proclaim and pray for you and the people in your pew and the people in your growth group and the people in your family and pro proclaim, and pray, pro pray and proclaim for the people of our culture, the people of our neighborhood, the people in your family and friends and jobs who you aren't sure where they are. Well, I'll tell you where they are. They're dead just like you. They're not listening any more than you're listening. Any more than I'm listening. But pray, pray that the message, pray that the Spirit will infuse the life in them. And he will. And indeed, the army stood ready to go. There's a expression, there's a, there's a passage in the book of John. Chapter 20 starts like this. He says, um, on the evening of the first day of the week, after the resurrection, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be to you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed. And Jesus said to them, Peace be to you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, here's verse 22. And with that, resurrected Jesus said, Peace be to you. I'm sending you just like my Father sent me. And in verse 22 he says, And with that, he breathed on them. <laughs> he breathed on them. What's going on? I don't know if you've ever read that in John. And if you ever wondered, what the heck's going on? He's breathing on him? What's going on is Ezekiel 37. He's breathing the Spirit of God into them. He's giving them the life to then go and do what God sent Ezekiel to do with the life infused in them by his own spirit, which he breathed on them. That spirit has already been breathed into you and me who trust him by faith, who believe it. And he's given us the message of hope, the message of honesty, the message of clearly I am dry, but clearly the spirit of God resides in me and gives life where life did not previously exist, and he can give it to you. Pray and proclaim. Let's pray.
Thank you, Father. Thank you for infusing this new life into us, seeing us in the condition we're in. Lord, I pray that you would breathe afresh upon us, even as you, as you call us to, even as, you experience, as we experience that as we share your supper. Breathing, feeding, nurturing new life into your people, turning us from dead, dry, hopeless into light, life, and truth. Do that for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.